Welcome to our online audience, and welcome to all of you. I have to tell you, it is a wonderful privilege to be here and to be, be able to deliver God's word, and I'm very, very thankful because I know this is sacred ground, holy ground. So um, as you can see, uh, let me turn around here, anticipation. We're going to move the title of my message tonight. Well, first of all, I want to pray. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for each heart. I thank you for the families that they represent. And Father, what a privilege it is to be your children. And my prayer is that you will feel so loved and so cared for tonight. And that our lives, your glorious name, will be the center on which our lives turn. And I declare this through your blood and in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the title of my message tonight is Moving from Expectation to Anticipation. I have to tell you, I've spent a lot of time on this because expectation and anticipation are very, very close. In fact, if you look in the dictionary for expectation, they use anticipation as a synonym. So I here I am trying to this fine line between these two, but I have to tell you, I think I got it. I worked really hard on it. First of all, anticipation. I was thinking about my own life. I think the greatest moments of anticipation were the birth of my children. And when my oldest son, you know, the first time around, no offense, Mark, the first time around, it was, I mean, we were all ready. We were all ready, and um, I, I was, uh, I remember Lynn and I, we had everything together, the nursery and all this, and, um, um, and then as the day approached, oh wow, you suddenly realize your lives are never going to be the same. You're going to be parents, and that kind of anticipation, that was a good kind of anticipation. So I just, um, I, I, like I said, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this and um, I, I, thinking about what it means to operate in an attitude of expectation versus anticipation. Sounds pretty intelligent, doesn't it? An attitude of expectation versus anticipation. Uh, it requires a different mindset I've discovered. Pastor Dana shared last Wednesday that unmet expectations are a source of frustration. Maybe some of you are there right now. We've all suffered that. We put unrealistic expectations out there, and then when it doesn't happen, boom. So she said unexpected, unmet expectations are a source of frustration. She also said unmet expectations can ruin relationships and crush your heart. How we handle, this is what I remember, too, that she said that it says a lot. How we handle unmet expectations reveals our character. I think that's true. So what's the difference between the two? Anybody want to venture a raise a hand, whatever? Okay. Um, the, according to the Redeeming Grace Ministries, you can find them online, Anticipation is looking forward with excitement to what is coming. Resting in the assurance that it will be good regardless of what form it takes. That requires faith, doesn't it? 
So expectation is projecting an imagined reality onto the future. How many of you have active imaginations? Yeah, yeah. But here's what I'm learning, even at my age, I know this is, it's hard to figure. But even at my age, I am learning that anticipation right there. No, that's not the one, but anticipation is a much kinder and less stressful place to reside in my mind and spirit. Does that make sense to you? And so I want to become an anticipator instead of an expector. So it leaves me, what, what about anticipation? It, why? Because it leaves me with excitement looking forward to what God is going to do in my life. What he is going to do tonight, for example, knowing that good things are coming and I can enjoy the journey. I know my Abba Father has everything under control. You know, since I taught back and um, brought the message on September 20th, I use Abba Father all the time now. It's became, it's become my, he's my Abba. He's my daddy. I use it all the time. So I Isaiah 55 verse 11 really uh, cements this when it says, like you see it up there, um, it is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. See, when you anticipate and the Lord is in it, you don't have to expect unrealistically. That makes sense? Um, when he's in it, you know that it will always produce fruit. No matter how bad I screw it up tonight, it's going to produce fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Those are the, the words of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. Well, you know, uh, Max Licato, I've really become a fan of him lately. Guess what he said, how he puts the birth of, of the Lamb of God, of the babe in the manger. He says that the God of the universe was born into the poverty of a peasant. That's a phrase, isn't it? born into the poverty of a peasant. Then he says, the God of the universe left the glory of heaven. And guess what? He moved into our neighborhood. He's in your neighborhood. Is your door locked to him or is it open to him? Think about that. And, and then the question becomes, who could have imagined or, quote, anticipated that he would do such a thing? That he would do that. Why, 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 why would he do that? Because he wants to be with the ones he loves. That's why he would do that. I often think about if he was here, where would we find him? Well, he might show up for a guest appearance here, but we know where we'd find him. He'd be down there with the homeless and the hopeless. That's one thing that I loved when Len and I, we would go to City Gospel Mission in downtown Cincinnati, one of the worst neighborhoods in the country, we felt like we were on the front lines. We absolutely loved de declaring the word to those people. And they would whistle and hoot and holler, preach it, you know. Has anybody said that to you, Pastor Matt? <laughs> I'm going to do it, okay. I will do it. Or Ben can do it. All right. So anyways, moving on. Thus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice for our redemption, was born. 
not in an end, we all know that, but in the same manner that the terrible temple sacrifices would have been born. Now listen carefully to this. The lambs used for the daily temple offerings were also raised in Bethlehem. And so when the shepherds came to view the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world, they came to the final sacrifice. So when she, and, and then I found this fascinating. When it's Passover time, you know, that's once a year in the spring, when the shepherds prepare the unblemished lamb for sacrifice at Passover, they wrap the lamb tightly in a cloth and would lay them in a manger or feed trough for protection and care before the sacrifice. Isn't that neat? So upon seeing the baby Jesus laying in the manger, guess what? Those shepherds knew. They understood what that was all about. They understood. And uh, so upon seeing the baby lying there, wrapped in swaddling clothes, they would have had complete understanding of the significance of the scene before them. Swaddling clothes, anybody know what that is? Are any of you wearing swaddling clothes tonight? I don't think so. But swaddling clothes, when they have the newborn baby, the new lamb, it's a square piece of, of material, uh, a fine fabric for those who were rich, and for those that were poor, it was a lesser quality, and we all know what kind of fabric Jesus would have been wrapped in. But it's a square piece of cloth, and they wrap the baby in that, and then they have two, they have several bandage-like strips that they would wrap around to keep the cloth in place, thus swaddling clothes, right? And lo, the angel came upon them, and they were sorely afraid, right? And he said, fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, which shall be for all people. And ye sh this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. They say that, the, that toddlers up to one years old would wear swaddling clothes. So think about that. Isn't that neat? So let's advance 30 years now, okay? Anticipation drove the people to his presence. We all know that. Oh, they knew something was different about him. Do they know something different about us when, when we're around people, when we're around the world? Can they tell a difference in us? I hope so. That's my prayer. That I pray that all the time that, dear Jesus, may they know, they, may they know that I belong to you. So anticipation drove the people to his presence. Oh, they knew something was different about him. They couldn't contain themselves, believing and knowing their lives or the lives of their loved ones were about to change forever. That's anticipation. The atmosphere, think about this, radiated with power, with glory, with compassion, with love. Can you anticipate that atmosphere right now for the celebration of the birth of the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world? Or can you anticipate his return 
Can you anticipate his return? I'm telling you, I'm really getting excited about this. I've studied this for over 20 years, and I'm telling you what, the world has never been in the position it has been, is right now, and I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that in a couple minutes here. By the way, just think about the, um, the miracle gathering of the 5,000. There was 5,000 men there, but probably 5,000 women too, and the average Jewish family scholars tell us had five kids. So multiply five times five, you got 25,000 kids, 5,000 women, and 5,000 men. And scholars estimate that, that at that miracle gathering, there's probably around 30,000 people. Think about that. Well, let's think about Jesus himself. Anybody know how many siblings he had? Do you know how many brothers did he have? He had four brothers. Do you know the names? I've got it written down here so I don't forget. <laughs> so um, uh, let's see, where do I have it? Anyways, James, oh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Did he have any sisters? Yes, he did. The, the phrase in the Bible is all his sisters. So we don't know the exact number, but with it being plural, you know he had more than one. So at least he had six siblings. Large family. I bet he had more sisters than that. A large family. So when our Abba Father chose to reveal himself in a human body, the hand that touched the leper had dirt under his nails, right? And, and the feet that the women wept over, they were calloused and they were dusty. And oh, the tears, oh, the tears of Jesus. The Messiah, Luke nineteen forty one. Have that up there by chance. There we go. Um, this is on Palm Sunday, and he's coming down the hill, and he sees the temple, and he sees Jerusalem, and he begins to weep, as that scripture is. Let's read that together, okay? As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Well, the Greek word for wept, very powerful word. It means wailing and agony. Have you ever been there? I bet some of you have. Heaving of the bosom. Have you ever been so upset in such grief that you just can't get your breath? And then it means gut-wrenching sobs. Gut-wrenching sobs. Why? The sob and the cry of his soul and agony over their refusal to repent and to accept salvation. Think about that. So... Here's what I love, though. Here, talk about anticipation now. When Jesus was in town, what happened? All the anticipation of the people, the townsfolk, his reputation preceded him. They were looking for him wherever he went. That's why he had to go up on a mountain, get away from everybody so he could sleep. So this, think about it this way. They came at night. They touched him as he walked down the street. They followed him around the sea. They invited him to their homes and placed their children at his feet. Why? Because he refused to be a statue in a cathedral. And he didn't want to stand in one of these pulpits, elevated pulpits like a priest. Have you ever been in one, Pastor Matt? I think if you go to Jamestown, they had one. Didn't they have one there, Mark? And I stood in that elevated pulpit. I mean, I was way up looking, but there wasn't anybody in the congregation. 
But anyways, it was so cool. I could get used to that. Not really. Not really. I like being right down there. So, but, but that's who he was. Why? Why did he feel that way? Because he chose instead just to be Jesus, fully man and fully God. There was, think about it this too. There was not a hint of one person who was afraid to draw near, draw near to him. Not one person. That's not in the Bible at all, is it? There was not one person who was reluctant to approach him for fear of being rejected. Not one person. And remember, it is we humans, we create the distance. Jesus is the bridge builder. He came down to us. He came down to us. Oh, that we, the body of Christ now, will have the same overwhelming desire in our celebration this Advent season. I hope I'm stirring you up a little bit tonight. I'm just in a gay mood. I'm excited. I'm anticipating. I, I'm going to go to Cincinnati on Christmas Day and spend that week with my daughter and her family. And I'm anticipating. I love the journey, and I love being there. And Mark's anticipating. He's going to visit his daughter in Prague, Czech Republic. How about that, right? So let's move on here. I can see right now I'm not going to finish my notes. But I think you've got the main thrust of everything so far, right? Anticipation. Oh, my. I would much rather live in anticipation than expectation. Isn't that good? All right. So he still comes. Oh, that the body of Christ will have the same overwhelming desire in our celebration this Advent season. He still comes. Think about this. He still comes. He still saves. He still heals. He still delivers. He still protects. He still preserves. And he still makes us whole. <laughs> yeah, I'm preaching. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Max Lucado in his book, In the Manger, shares a remarkable story that gives one of the most anointed explanations that I've ever read as to why he would come into our neighborhood. Are you interested in that? It's very short, and um, I'm going to read it to you. Okay? Well, he, he, he tells us that um, a Dr. Maxwell Maltz, He's telling this remarkable story, a friend of, of Max, Lucado. Dr. Maxwell Maltz tells a remarkable story of a love of like this. A man had been burned and disfigured in a fire while attempting to save the parents from a burning house, but he couldn't get to them. They perished. He mistakenly interpreted his pain as God's punishment. A lot of people do that. I hope you're not doing that. The man would not let anyone see him, not even his wife. She went to Dr. Maltz, a plastic surgeon, for help. He told her not to worry. I, I can restore his face. The wife was unenthused. Her husband had repeatedly refused any help. She knew he would again. Then why her visit? Listen to this. 
I want you to disfigure my face so I can be like him. If I can share his pain, maybe he'll let me back in his life. Dr. Maltz was shocked. He denied her request, but was so moved by her love that he went to speak with her husband. Knocking on the man's bedroom door, he called loudly, I'm a plastic surgeon, and I can restore your face. No response. Please come out. Again, there was no answer. Tell you what, when we get depressed and down, we become dismayed, and we become no good to ourselves or anybody else, and especially to God. Still speaking through the door, Dr. Moltz told the man of his wife's proposal. She wants to defigure, disfigure her face to make her face like yours in the hope that you let her back into your life. That's how much she loves you. There was a brief moment of silence, and then ever so slowly, the doorknob began to turn. The way the woman felt for her husband is the way that God feels about us. But he did, not, he did more than make the offer. He took on our face. He took on our disfigurement. He became like us. Just look at the places he was willing to go. Feed troughs, carpentry shops, badlands and cemeteries. The places he went to teach us show how far he will go to touch us. He loves to be with the one he loves. If anybody's like that tonight, anybody listening online, you don't have to stay there. We'll be glad to pray with you. Come to our church. Well, Max, uh, Paul reveals that um, in Galatians 4.4. 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And the meaning of fully come invites us to consider God's timing. But when the time had fully come. Scholars tell us that the phrase is a very picturesque Greek expression. It speaks of something that is complete and fully developed, like a ripe apple you might pick, pick and, and eat, or like a pregnant woman feeling labor pains ready to give birth to her baby. It describes the moment in history when all things were in place, when all the pieces were on the board, that one moment when the stage was perfectly set. At that moment, and not earlier, and not later, when the stage was fully set, God sent forth his son. The word was made flesh. Aren't you glad about that? And I want to share something else to you about anticipation. Did you know that those believers who love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's us, right? And I'm sure several online, those believers that love the Lord thy God and are, hear me now, eagerly anticipating his return, soon return, we will receive the crown of righteousness. Man, we're going to get a crown. If you love Jesus and you're excited about he's coming back and you're praying about that.
Yeah, let's give God praise for that. Hallelujah. So quickly, I want to end with um, what was the world like during the 400 years between the Testaments? Why did the Messiah come when, when he did? It was a period of international peace. For only the second time in the history of the Roman Empire, the doors of the Temple of Janus were closed. That was the, the war, the god of war in Rome, meaning that the empire was not at war anywhere. The Romans had built a road system. You all know about that, that phrase, all roads lead to Rome. Well, the roads out of Rome led to every place in the known world. The, the, that enabled the gospel message to spread quickly. Greek was the common language throughout the empire, which further united the people and made it easier for the gospel of Jesus to come to the masses. Number two, it was a time of religious ferment. Across the empire, pagan religions were in decline. Judaism was ripe for the Messiah. During the 400 silent years, the Jews had migrated to every corner of the ancient world where they built synagogues. By the time Christ had come, the Jews were part of every level of society in the Roman Empire. God has a plan. God has a plan right now. He really does. Things are falling in place together right now. Right now. And the, the, the difference between us now and then back there, we can see it all unfolding. And if you study the book of Revelation and Daniel and those that correspond, Timothy, you, they're roadmaps through the end times. You can know what's coming next. So anyways, um, historians tell us that in the centuries preceding Christ's coming, there was a feeling of unrest and an undefined anticipation and expectation of something about to happen. Do we have that sense of anticipation right now concerning his soon return? I'm telling you, something's about to happen. Mark it down. And I know you all, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I know you all know that. The, number three, quickly, it was an era of moral decline. Athens was fading. The gods of Greece and Rome no longer had the attention of the masses and so forth. And here, listen to this and compare it to America right now. Gross superstition, gross immorality, gross corruption, evil in control, and no faith. Don't tell me that the signs that the pieces are coming together when the full time had fully come. He will return. He will return. It was into this darkness Scott shined a light in a stable in a remote little village. And lastly, it was an age of prophetic fulfillment. God promised over and over that he would intervene in human history. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. I don't know if you've heard this uh, little um, statement before, but um, the th for 30 years, he walked the earth and literally split time in two. And, and I think that, that the, the, author, the author who wrote this statement I'm going to share, he, um, he was, an, um, nobody knew who it was. But I think he had to be from England. Maybe you've heard this before. 19, now 20 wide centuries have come and gone. And he is still the centerpiece of the human race. 
right? He is the leader of the column of progress. Yes, he is. And I'm far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever ruled have not affected the life of man upon this earth more powerfully than that one solitary soul, Jesus of Nazareth. Can you give God praise on that? One last uh, little story here. Some years ago, C.K. Lee, a Christian leader from China, visited the U.S. One Sunday, he spoke in a church in California. At the conclusion of the message, a young college student posted this question, posed this question. Why should we export Christianity to China when you have Confucianism in your country? There are three reasons, was Lee's response. First of all, Confucius was a teacher and Christ is a savior. China needs a savior more than she needs a teacher. Second of all, Confucius is dead and Christ is alive. China needs a living savior. In the third place, Confucius is someday going to stand before Christ to be judged by him. China needs to know Christ as a savior before she meets him as judge. America needs to know Christ before she meets meets him as judge. Thank you, Jesus. And one last scripture. Behold, the virgin, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name shall conceive and bear a son. Thank you, Jesus. Don't want to mess that one up. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, the article the before virgin means that this is not any virgin. It's the virgin singled out. In Jesus' name, I thank you and praise you. Can we give God praise tonight? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence. I pray that we've made you feel so rich and that you feel so loved. And, Lord, put that excitement in us. Anticipation can be negative, too. Let's wipe that out. But let's anticipate your presence, your glory, your power, your anointing. And I declare this through your blood in Jesus, your name. Amen.